the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Michael, welcome. Oh, so no Michael. Okay, we're going (coughs) to hold on. And while we're holding on, um, just going to remind you that... um, what am I going to remind you? I'm going to remind you that you can call me at 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And um, there are – oh, okay. We have Michael. Michael, welcome to the program. Hello, Gino. How are you? Pretty good. I'm glad. Hey, I've got – this is Tuesday. Yeah, Tough Question Tuesday. Yes. Exodus 19, 9. Uh-huh. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me when I speak to you and will always put their trust in you. You know, it made me think as I was studying that, that what if God said, Michael, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud over Greenwood Village so that when I speak to you, people will hear me and trust in you. I would have thought that Everybody in Greenwood Village would be able to hear and know it's God. What was the matter with the Israelites that as soon as Moses turns away, even though they can hear God, they turn away from God? Yeah, it's it's startling. It's troubling. It's astonishing. But again, the, that's I, there's two things that, that make me think about what you're saying. The first thing it says in the Bible is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And as you can imagine, Michael, God could be a bully. I mean, God could show up not just in that way that you just described, but is it possible that God could manifest himself in such a way that people, it's it's undeniable, it's indisputable. You'll remember, you'll remember the Bible talks about um, after the, in the day of the resurrection and the judgment, every knee will bow and every tongue will yes. confess. There, There is going to come a time where people see the Lord in all of his majesty and go, you mean everything in the Bible is like true? Uh, I, okay, I believe you now, I believe you now. And, and... And, of course, the Lord says, go away. Now, what's interesting to me 
is, again, the Bible describes a kind of God who doesn't manipulate people through signs and miracles that are indisputable. Yeah. We're, we're back to Greenwood Village. It, imagine it happens at Greenwood Village and our friends from ancient aliens show up and they'll go, <laughs> did you hear, you know, how do we know that this is the voice of God and it's not some extraterrestrial life form, <laughs> as Michio Kako would say, that are that's a million years advanced from us. And so they're able to say and do things that even though we don't understand or have the technology to acknowledge this is some sort of extraterrestrial being who's trying to manipulate us into worshiping this extraterrestrial being. And um, we don't want to do that. <laughs> I guess we're all just human. Well, and by, and I would add one thing. We are human and we're sinners by nature and by choice. We are the, we're not just humans. We're humans in rebellion who at some point have to lay their arms down. And you'll remember in Exodus chapter 19, which you just brought up, in verse 8, right before that, Moses goes to the top of the mount in order to relay the people's response to the offer of the covenant. God then tells Moses that he's going to speak audibly to Moses in a thick cloud so that all people will put their trust in Moses as their chosen leader. And so then Moses descends the mountain in verse 9 in order to uh, relay the um, the information. So yeah. so there's a first ascent, there's a second ascent, and there's a third ascent. In in verse 10, God speaks to Moses again, which implies that Moses may have been um, crippled. My phone hmm. is ringing, so I'm trying to take it off because we're on the program. <laughs> so, um, Are you working from home? You know what? I'm working in my studio, and... Uh, uh. Fortunately, Kerkis has a studio, and I have a studio, yeah. and I'm so grateful to God that I have this studio because it it saves me so much time. It, it reminds me of a story. Um, Charles Spurgeon was on a on a rail. He was on a train to France, and he was in first class. And another pastor came up to him and said, "I'm in third pl- class. I'm saving the Lord's money." And the the, uh, the Spurgeon said, "I'm in first class. I'm saving the Lord's servant." <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. That so, is, it's also so funny. There's third ascent. There's a fourth ascent. There's a fifth ascent. There's a sixth ascent in that chapter. Yeah, I know. And and again. That's you'll remember he goes up the fourth time, he goes up um the fifth time and the sixth time, and on the sixth time, that's when he brings Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy mm-hmm. of the elders of Israel with them. And then the next morning, uh, Moses is instructed to build an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up the twelve stone pillars representing the tribes of Israel. He offers a burnt offering, fellowship offering. And and he reads the book of the covenant to the people who say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. 
<laughs> and then to yeah, ratify right. the covenant, Moses sprinkles the people with the blood of the sacrifice. And so in a, in a way, we're talking about a contractual obligation. God doesn't make this deal with every nation on the planet Earth. No. He specifically makes it with them. Yep. And then, amazingly, God allows these men to live. Now, after the ceremony, it says, this is astonishing to me. They saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky in Exodus 24, verse 10. I haven't gotten that far yet. (laughs) Yeah, well, they eat and drink on the mountain, but I think it becomes a type and a picture of friendship and fellowship because all of the necessary requirements have been made in order to participate in friendship and fellowship with God. And, of course, then God commands Moses to go up to Sinai and receive the stone tablets and then that's when all Hades breaks loose. <laughs> yeah, it sure does, and and it has. Hey, thank you for your call. Well, you're very welcome. Love talking with you. This is Have Gino. Ger- <laughs> this is Gino Geraci. Thanks so much for joining me. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gina Geraci. So glad you could join me. The number is 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Shelly in Canyon City. All the way in Canyon City. Yes. Hi. I'm so glad you can hear me in Canyon City. (laughs) I can. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. You live in a beautiful, beautiful part of Colorado. I do. I do. Very blessed. Very blessed. Um, so I have a question. Well, it's kind of a comment and a question. So I was listening yesterday, and you had a caller on who was talking about pronoun usage and yes. how to be respectful and yes. what we should do and all these things. And I just was um, not too long ago in a Bible study, and I've been saved for a very long time, and I've been to a lot of Bible studies. And I was in a Bible study um where the leader of the Bible study actually took us to Genesis one twenty seven, and he seemed to relate somehow in that passage that Adam was given both male and female attributes at the time of creation, and that he was actually both male and female and one until Eve was created. And then taking the rib out of Adam separated them, and made them two beings. Yeah, and I would this... I would dispute that. I would dispute oh I would dispute the idea that Adam was a man and a woman. I would yeah. I would dispute that idea. What I would say is when so because if that were true, then we would have to rethink about the passage itself. Because Jesus later in the New Testament says he created them at the beginning male and female. So yeah. it doesn't say that he created them, him, her. Right. He, right. he creates them male and female. Now, there's yeah. another way of thinking about this as well. God creates Adam from the dust of the earth. 
But God creates Eve, not from the dust of the earth, but from the literal, genetic, biological, living tissue from the man. Mm. And, and so, again, the animals are created from dust. Adam is, no offense, created from dirt. Mm-hmm. And the woman is created from living tissue. And yeah. so in the most basic idea, I think that the Bible is trying to communicate it, it, it that, that the gender is very specific, but that their union, remember he creates the male and female for the purpose. So let me may offer another argument as well. Remember he is naming the animals and doing all of the stuff that he does but he noticed that something is missing. Now, how would he notice that something is missing if he's a male and a female? In other words, using the logic that this person is presenting, then he's complete in and of himself. He doesn't need a female because he has everything he needs as a human being. He is a human being who is, from a gender standpoint, completely fulfilled. Yeah. But I'm... This is something that that I was thinking of in this whole thing, though, is I wonder, because this is a kind of a common Bible study that people that are sharing around and stuff. It's called the Great Romance, and it's supposed to be a marriage study and stuff. I'm wondering if this teaching is being taught in other churches, and if so, if that's not causing some of the confusion that we are having in the transgender whole Thing, well, know? I think to answer your question in part, and I'm not suggesting that this is a whole answer by any stretch of the imagination, that when you have a wrong view of what the Bible says about gender, mm-hmm. then the chances are it's going to lead to confusion. And you'll mm-hmm. remember that even that term gender was was literally kind of a foreign idea until not too long ago. In the 1950s, the idea of differentiating sex and gender was completely foreign to the medical and psychological communities. And so we, t- we talk about the biological imperative. Now, that would be the other thing that I would argue on, on, on the earlier thing. If human beings have an XX or an XY chromosome and it's genetically placed, then what this suggests is that Adam, if we still adhere to the logic of, of, of the of the assertion that was made earlier, that Adam would have had XX and XY right. chromosomes. Right. right. Now, yeah. here's, here's yeah. what we know from a biological reality. No amount of hormone therapy or surgery can change, if uh, I may be so bold, you as a woman – you are a woman at the at the molecular level. Mm-hmm. I am a man at the molecular level. And so in our culture, in our society, you know, obviously there's now upwards of some 50 gender options. Mm-hmm. And, the yeah. cl- and the closest that the Bible comes to mentioning what, what, what scientists or health professionals call gender dysphoria is a mm-hmm. condemnation of transvesticism in Deuteronomy 22.5, where, where human beings, where men in particular, are, mm-hmm. are 
who they're instructed not to misrepresent themselves as a female. Yeah. And now the New Testament obviously talks about men being born as eunuchs, which means they're born with some sort of abnormal sexual function. But even then, they're still called men who are born with an abnormal sexual function, which I think it, it's not inappropriate to acknowledge that and say, are certain men or women born with abnormal sexual functions? And so, again, the Bible nowhere mentions a man believing himself to be a woman or vice versa. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so again, I would, I would take what was said to you with a grain of salt and, and be reluctant to embrace it. Oh, yeah, there's no chance. I just was just flabbergasted by the entire thing, and I had never heard this kind of teaching in any Bible study I've ever been in. And I'm like, why would this be going on now? And the only thing that I can think is that it's somehow taken root in the church from this entire movement that we've got going. That's right. the, only, the only thing that I can see, and which is really sad to me. And it should be, because, again— <laughs> This is why the Bible says, don't be many teachers among you, knowing that you're going to incur this stricter judgment. In other words, the very first, one of the very first things I learned as a Bible teacher, yeah. the text can never mean what it never meant. Yeah. It can yeah. never mean what, yeah. it, what it never meant. Who in history interpreted the text that way? No Yeah, one. I, no one. Yeah, Until, no yeah, so this is a novel kind of a thing that yeah. I, I would chalk up. I, I'm being charitable. Chalk yeah. up to a person who doesn't know or didn't do the research. Um, but hopefully, they're, you know, they're open to being corrected on this subject. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I'm no longer in the Bible study. So anyway. <laughs> hey, well, thank you for calling. Thank you. Thanks for your answer. 303-873-1935. Do I have time, Jim, for Imelda? I do not have time. So you hold on. We've got, I think we have one open line, 303-873-1935. And just very quickly, um, you know, the Bible talks about sin and its devastating effects on humanity. So, again, we live in a fallen world. There are human beings, men and women, who can be born with some sort of biological abnormality. But, but this represents a very small percentage of people in the world. There's a syndrome called herma hermaphrodism. Now, this hermaphrodism um, is this um, odd situation where sometimes a person is born with multiple genitalias of both male and female. But usually in the hermaphrodite condition, again, at the genetic level, there's a dominant gender. This person will have an XX or an XY chromosome. So is it possible, because we live in a broken world, that people can have birth defects? Yeah. Can that birth defect even result in mental and emotional distress that causes people to make decisions about themselves that aren't true? I think that the answer is yes. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. Let's see who's up. Amelda. Amelda, welcome to the program. 
Hi, thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Um, so I have you on speakerphone. Are you able to hear me well? Yes, but I usually uh, discourage speakerphones, so use your great big radio voice, okay? Okay. So go ahead. Ask me what you want. Uh, so I am 33 years old. Congratulations. Um, thank you so much. I um, Recently, I wanted to share with you the age that I am because I recently, you know, have been seeking God. I'm learning about him. It's beautiful. Um, and there, my curiosity is growing and growing and growing. And, you know, I'll be at work. I'll be um, listening to you as much as I can and um, 94.7. Huh? And um, so I'll look up, I'll look things up. The other day I was re- uh, reading about um, Proverbs and um, King Solomon and his writings. And, you know, I was reading about how if your wife is a believer, but your husband is not, um, or if the husband is a believer, but your wife is not, um, I don't understand. What does that mean? Can you explain to me? But I have so many questions. You were also speaking with Scott a couple calls ago. Uh And, you know, his friend also had, um, she has that, that fear of, of, uh, what, what did you mention? Um, I'm so it, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. She has a fear that she's not really saved because there's fear yes. in her heart and fear in her life. And she read the scripture that says perfect love casts out fear. And so she's thinking she's never experienced perfect love because she's fearful. And the, the, so the, I'm fearful, too. I'm fearful, too, and I do agree that, you know, people do get this anxiety because there's times where I get anxiety, anxiety, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not good enough, um, you know, and then there's those scriptures where it talks about if you confess your sins. The thing that I'm still trying to get to understand is, um, is it when you confess your sins at the time of judgment or when you confess your sins when you pray to him when you talk to him there's so many questions that i have and right, uh, right. i and, have that fear well and and again <laughs> the the bible the the way uh-huh. that i would answer your question <clears throat> is begin by again talking a little bit about that thing called fear god uh-huh. made human beings with emotions and it's not mm-hmm. wrong to have emotion and I'm going to suggest to you that fear comes in two forms, the kind of fear that that causes you to look both ways before you cross the street or pet a rattlesnake. In other words, there's an appropriate fear in the sense of caution. Now, the Bible makes it is different about worry. Um, so worry is, is the idea... Um, that I, I, I guess the way that I would put it, it comes from a Greek word, which means two words, um, marismo or marizo, which means to draw in different directions, to divide and noose the mind. So the word itself means when your brain goes in two different directions or the idea that you are, you know, you're just going off in two different directions. And so worry comes from an old German word, which means to strangle or to choke. And so Jesus says, don't worry, don't do it. So worry is a state of mind, a way of thinking, a mental habit. 
And um, in Psalm 55, too, it says, my thoughts trouble me and I'm distraught. And so we are to come to grips that Jesus gives us permission to not worry. Now, and, and so worry is asking the question, what if? And fear, fear is the idea of loss. And, and, and so I'm going to suggest to you that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. The Bible says this, greater love has no man than this, that he's willing to lay down his life for a friend. Fear is the idea that I could lose something. I could lose my life. I could lose my job. I could lose friendship. I could lose my child. You, you, you understand what I'm talking about. And so yes, since fear is the, uh, is the idea of loss, the Bible gives us permission to focus on what we've gained in Christ. Is it possible that you could lose your life? It is possible. But guess what? Jesus has given you eternal life. Is it possible that you could lose your job? Yeah, but the Bible says that Jesus is in charge and that Jesus can get you another job. Is it possible that you could lose your health? It is possible, but God in his grace and his mercy has already made the decision that that he loves you and that he's going to take care of you. Okay, I understand. So when I also was reading in Proverbs, uh-huh. Um, it was, it also mentioned about wisdom and understanding and, you know, there's areas or scriptures where it'll say that, um, it's more precious than, ru- than rubies, et cetera. Right. Um, so, so it, talking about fear, it also mentioned that fear, you must fear the Lord. And I understand that I, I absolutely fear the Lord because, you know, he is great. He has all the power. He knows the plans that he has for us. And and I fear him because I, I, I'm seeking salvation, you know. I'm not the most righteous person. I have so much to uh, continue to um, redeem myself. And so, well, well, you uh, can't redeem yourself. Jesus has already redeemed you. So, that, so okay. the very first thing that you have to come to grips with is you have nothing to offer God except your sin. Okay. That's all you have okay. to offer him. And he's willing to forgive Uh your sin. And so, again, remember, Jesus is doing it all. Jesus is doing it all. And so when we talk about fear of God, some people Uh have used the idea reverential awe. In other words, Uh uh, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So so here's the idea. We understand who God is. Who is he? He's the person who made you. What what else? Yes. He's the he person. Yes. Yeah, he's the person who can who, who controls all things that relate to you. He is the person who's in charge of heaven and hell and whether you're going to go there. And so okay. own, true wisdom only comes from understanding who God is and that he is good, that he is holy, that he is just and that he is righteous. And so the the other way of thinking about it is fear in the certain sense of respect. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone to court, Imelda, but imagine you have to stand for a judge, before a judge, whether it's a traffic ticket or whatever it is. You should have a healthy fear because that yeah. judge can take money from you. He can take freedom from you. Mm-hmm. And so 
there's a reason why you want to avoid contempt of court. And so it's the opposite of contempt. We don't hold God in contempt, but rather we acknowledge who he is, how much he hates sin, and how how he loves you and he's willing to forgive you and give you eternal life. And so so here here's the idea. You're not supposed to be scared of God. Oh, by the way, do you have children? I have five children. <laughs> okay, you have five children. Now, so yeah. there's two things that you could think about your children. Do you want to okay. raise them in an atmosphere where they're scared to death of you? Not at all. Or do you want to raise them in an atmosphere where they respect you and they they have a healthy respect because you are, in fact, their mother? Yes. It's the same, only a million times greater when it comes to God. Okay, okay. If you Thank have an you ex- so if, much for if, everything. If you have an expectation uh-huh. that your children should respect you, mm-hmm. imagine, is it okay for God to have the expectation that you respect Him? Yes, it is. We must honor Him. And when, in fact, when we don't, there's a remedy. You just say say that, Lord, I didn't respect you in this. I didn't honor you in this. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Hey, thanks so much for your call. You too. Thank you for everything. God bless. Bye-bye. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to race through our callers. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Phil in Buffalo Creek. Thanks for calling. Hey, how you doing, Jay? Doing good. Hey, um, pretty good. Yeah, uh, we're gonna. Uh, are you are you missing out on that uh, last station? Uh, I, I just want to bring you it because uh, they said you were leaving the the, the other state, the Gray Station, uh, eighty nine point seven or something like that. Um, uh, my son, is, yeah, my son is on that. I mean, I'm um, I'm obviously familiar with Ed Taylor and eighty nine point seven. So yeah, I had a teaching yeah. program on there and. Um, I suspect that my teaching program is no longer there, but uh, no, I'm, it's not. I was because I used to listen to it. So I'm everywhere. I mean, yeah. in the sense of I'm online. Yeah. It's at uh, at um, YouTube, and you know, I've got this right. program. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Okay. but it, but I love eighty. Uh, you know, I love my friends. Yeah, because I listen to it on the radio because it's, it's easier on my truck because I'm always in the truck all the time. So <laughs> well, it's really how, nice. To, so that's the question. Do you have yeah. another? No, no. Question? The question is. Yes. The question is, um, I was listening to that station over there, and and they said that when you die, um, you, you you go to heaven, right? Directly to, to heaven with Jesus, be with Jesus. When you well, die. The, for the Christian, if, I mean, if you're if you're in Christ, yeah, yeah, you're if in you're Christ. in Christ, yeah, to be absent from the body, but, it's to be present uh-huh. with the, the Lord. Yeah, but what about the rapture? That's what I was thinking about. Well, the rapture is different. different? The, yeah, it's, it's in other words, the rapture is... Because going to be brought up, yeah. Well, the rapture is, is for human beings who are alive at the end of the age. In other words, Paul anticipates that there is a terminal generation. The Bible talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, um, that we who are alive and remain shall not prevent those who have preceded us. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, 
he says, I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant about these about those who are asleep. In other words, those are people who are dead that you may not grieve as others who have no hope for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, the idea being, and that's exactly what we believe. Even so, Jesus will bring those who have died back to life in the, in the sense, in the resurrection, God's going to resurrect all believers who have died and give them a glorified body. And so there's a resurrection that's going to take place and there's a rapture that's going to take place. The big, the big question for many people is, is the rapture, and the resurrection and at the second coming, the same thing. Historical premillennialism and amillennialism and a number of different other groups say yes. Dispensational premillennialism says no. The rapture is an event that will take place and then followed by a, a time of tribulation, which will result right. in the second coming of Jesus. So the rapture is something that happens to human beings who are alive, who literally shed a physical body and are immediately given a glorified body without benefit of death. Right. But I got on that, on that rapture thing, uh, cause we're getting, what about the ones that were in buried and dead? And then they said that they're going to, we're going to meet them up with them. Like I'm alive. And then I have a Christian person that was dead in the, in the grave. They're, they said they're, we're going to meet them up sure. to go to heaven. Because they're going to be but, resurrected. But if they're already in heaven with God, you know, when, when people die, okay, okay, that's, let me, why, that's what I understand. Okay, well, yeah. let me help you understand. Yeah. The, the people who are dead in Christ uh-huh. don't have a glorified body. They have an immaterial being, like a soul and a spirit. In other words, right, right now, even as you and I are talking— you have a body that's appropriate for where you are. You're here on the earth, mm-hmm. unless you're an angel calling in disguise. But right. one day you'll be dead. Your physical body will be put in the dirt or in the urn, right. and your soul and spirit will be present with Jesus. The soul right. and the spirit at some point in the future will unite with a glorified body, which will be the appropriate receptacle that you will retain forever and ever. Oh, so that's what's going to come up. That's what's uh, going to That's what's gonna happen. And so everyone, oh. everyone in Christ will eventually be given a glorified body. So at so the rapture, that, that, gl- that glorified yeah. body is instantaneous. But at the resurrection, the dead – so let's say, for instance, just as an example, not that it's going to happen, that you died today. Well, right. what makes Phil really Phil, his soul and his spirit, alive in Christ, goes to be present with the Lord. But dead Phil, physical Phil, the dead body, goes in the dirt or in the urn. But there right. will come a point – where the Phil who's in heaven and the body that's on the earth will be united together again because you are going to be given a receptacle, a body that's appropriate for where you will be forever, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 54, where it talks about, I'm telling you, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So in order Mm -hmm. for you to live in the eternal state, you're going to have to be given a body that's going to be appropriate for where you will be forever and ever. So, so that's what's so going to come you, up with us. Okay. Yes. Uh, 
I get it. I hope that helps. <laughs> I, I appreciate you. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. Well, God bless you. Okay? Um, bye-bye. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. I know that Ernie in Lakewood wanted to talk about the Oracle by Jonathan Kahn. And Ernie, even though we lost you, if you have an opportunity, I would encourage you to go to the website called heroscope.blogspot.com, where there is a review of Jonathan Kahn's the Oracle of Khan, or excuse me, the mystical numbers of Rabbi Khan. It's a review of the book, The Oracle, The Jubilean Mysteries Unveiled. And um, again, I, I'm not sure who how else has written on this subject. I have not read The Oracle, and so um, I'm reluctant to comment on its contents but I would encourage you to read that review and see what you think. And again, it's part of a a group called Discernment Research Group. Now, I don't know if others have written on the subject of of Jonathan Kahn, and I know that I have talked about other things that I have read, um, like The Harbinger and what's called the Shemitah, and um, so Jonathan Kahn, at least based on the books that I have read, like The Harbinger, The Ancient Mystery That Holds the Secret of America's Future, it's a book um, that's labeled fiction and suspense. Um, and I don't know what the—I I, I think that the other book, The Oracle, is written under the guise of fiction— And that's the way I would treat it. It is fiction. Now, we have to ask and answer a different question. In what way does this fiction reflect biblical reality, biblical truth, whatever? Um, In the book The Harbinger, on on the copyright page, it says, what you're about to read is presented in the form of a story. Now, the rest of the sentence is sort of ambiguous. It says, but what is contained within the story is real. So if the author is saying that the book's content is a real message from God to the United States of America, then it's important to examine the view in the meaning of biblical prophecy. So so it's been my experience. Um, in my own view, Jonathan Kahn is not a Bible teacher who I recommend or Um, we have some articles at gotquestions.org, your questions, biblical answers. What is the Shemitah? Does the Harbinger really predict, uh, America's future? I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll hopefully be talking with, uh, with my friends at, uh, got questions to see if maybe we could do a little bit of a review on the Oracle. So Melissa, if you're listening, Shay, if you're listening, maybe a review on the Oracle would be good to post it. Got questions? This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me on Tough Question Tuesday. I'll be back tomorrow taking your calls, answering your questions. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.